This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, Wrestling with God, from the book of Genesis. Now that very day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about the things that had happened. While they were talking and debating these things, Jesus himself approached and began to accompany them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Then he said to them, What are these matters you are discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? He said to them, What things? The things concerning Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied, a man who with his powerful deeds and words proved to be a prophet before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but it is now the third day since these things happened. Furthermore, some women of our group amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back and said they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. So he said to them, You foolish people, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. So they approached the village where they were going. He acted as though he wanted to go further, but they urged him, Stay with us, because it is getting toward evening and the day is almost done. So he went in to stay with them. When he had taken his place at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. At this point, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Then he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us while he was speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? So they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together. And saying, and saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. The word of the Lord. Praise All right, well, that, uh, we are in a series on Genesis, and I just read from Luke, because I want to take you on a little bit of a journey on the road to Emmaus with Jesus. Uh, and how he uses the Old Testament scriptures to point to himself. And uh, there's no uh, better passage than this passage that Ken read, or the passages that he read in Genesis, in Psalms, and then in Hebrews, to give us an idea of how scripture works. And so the first thing that I would like to point out here is that we are wrestling with God. Uh, As we go through life, uh, we hear the proclamation of truth that comes in scripture. And we can't read the whole Bible in one day, and then even if we were, were, were to do that, 
We can't just sit there and say, yes, I agree with everything that's in there. No, as a matter of fact, we hear these proclamations of truth. They challenge our worldview. They challenge our, our own way of thinking about life. And we end up having to wrestle with those things and ask ourselves the question, is his word trustworthy? And so that's what we have been going through in Genesis. And, and now uh, Jesus is going to walk through those scriptures with us and invite his disciples there on the road to Emmaus. And then us, 2,000 years later, the same thing. Will you trust his word when it comes to the Christ? And, and so uh, as we go through that, then here's the uh, thought for today. Uh, that these things in Scripture are not by accident. Yeah, the things in Scripture are not by accident. They are there very intentionally. And so this story about this strange man named Melchizedek and repeated in Psalms and then in Hebrews, uh, just these tiny references, they are not there by accident. Uh, and so think about what Jesus said when he was on the road. Uh, these two men were sad because... Their impression uh, of who the Messiah was was met before Jesus died. They, as Jesus was alive and he was coming and teaching and doing all kinds of miracles, uh, they were sitting there thinking, this is surely the Messiah that is going to give us back the kingdom of David. That was their expectation. Uh, they, they knew that the Messiah was a son of David and that the promise that had been given uh, that is flowing out of the promise from Abraham and then being reiterated and opened up uh, throughout time and throughout Scripture includes the idea of Jesus coming from the line of David, or, or the Messiah coming from the line of David. So they had this expectation, but again, their expectation was, uh, was physical in nature or temporal in nature. Remember, as we went through the book of Luke, we, Jesus was constantly appealing to his disciples, go beyond the mere physical Go beyond the mere temporal. My kingdom is not of this earth. Uh, he would talk in, in those types of, of, of manners, appealing them to them to consider the spiritual truths and world uh, that exist. And so here, once again, he's dealing with, with some disciples that are stuck in the physical, stuck in the temporal, not understanding how does the spiritual uh, be impacted by this. And Jesus is walking along and, and, and they're saying, well, we're, we're sad because we thought that he was the Messiah. Uh, imagine all the, the, the dreams that were crushed uh, as he was hanging on the cross, crucified. Their dreams of freedom, their dreams of autonomy from the, the brutal Roman state, all being dashed as he is being crucified. And yet Jesus knows three days later, I am going to be alive again. And this feast of victory that I am offering is going to upset the entire world. And so he's inviting these. And, and so what does it say? They're walking along and Jesus says, it starts to address them about himself. When it says that language about himself, he's not speaking about the Old Testament scriptures pointing to Jesus. He's speaking about the Old Testament scriptures pointing to the Messiah, who Jesus is. Uh, so let's, let's just understand the emphasis of what he's trying to do is speak to how the scriptures speak of a Messiah. And then it says something fascinating right there. Then beginning with Moses 
and all the prophets. He begins to explain and interpret the scriptures to them. No doubt he would have turned immediately to Genesis. Now he doesn't have a Bible or scriptures on him, but they know the scriptures and he's repeating the scriptures to them and this story of Melchizedek. And I would imagine that he would have invited them to consider Psalm 110, uh, where it talks about this idea of, a, of the Messiah, where David is sitting down and prophesying, my Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Now, uh, Jesus used this passage, Psalm 10, in an argument with the Pharisees, saying to, saying to the Pharisees, hey, who is David talking about? He's using this. So this is, this is part of a passage that would have been known by, these, by, the, by the Jewish people. They would have known that this is a direct passage that is speaking of the Messiah. So David is sitting there saying, my God, essentially, said to my superior. Now that's kind of interesting for David to say that because David was king. Who is the king's superior? Well, God is, but he's already addressing God, and he's saying, my God said to my superior. And this is why uh, Jesus uses this passage to speak. He says, well, wait a minute. If David is talking about his superior, meaning the Messiah, then how can the Messiah come from him? And the Pharisees, they, they don't know how to answer that question. In fact, it's the final conflict, uh, scriptural conflict between Jesus and and the Pharisees, they are stumped. And then this verse follows up two verses later by saying, I've made an order, an eternal order, that this Messiah, this superior of yours, will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek, patterned after Melchizedek. And I can imagine Jesus walking along the road to, uh, to Emmaus with these two guys and saying, what did that mean? What does that mean? Have you, have you pondered scripture? Have you taken the time to meditate and think about these passages? When it says about the Messiah that he will be a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. And I would imagine that much like us, those disciples would have scratched their head and they're saying, who's Melchizedek? They probably haven't spent a whole lot of time pondering him. And so Jesus then takes them back to Genesis and he says, do you remember the story about Abram and Melchizedek? How there's this, Abram goes out and he saves uh, this, this lot because lot was captured. There was a battle. You can read about it in the first half of chapter 14. A lot of names in there that were tough to say. I spared Ken some of those names. You got a couple big ones in there, but there were more. There were five kings and four kings and they were battling each other. And Lot was taken captive. And so Abram assembles his family, essentially, about 300 people in his family to go and rescue Lot. And when he comes back, he stops by this little city called Salem. That little city becomes Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem meaning the city of peace. This is what Ken read in Hebrews when it talks about the names, Jerusalem, the city of peace. So here is the king of Salem coming out, the king of peace coming out to meet Abram. Not only is he a king of peace, he's also a priest of the most high God. And his name means 
Melech Zedek. Melech meaning king and Zedek meaning righteousness. King of righteousness and from the city of peace. Is this sounding somewhat important in scripture? As it says that the Messiah will be this guy, will be patterned after this, this person. Well, he's also a priest. So he's a king and a priest. And so for the first time in scripture, we have very clearly delineated this type of person. A leader who is not just a king, but a king and a priest too. Now let's just pause for a moment and think about the implications of what a king and a priest can do together when they are the same person. Would you, would you trust your governors and your presidents a little bit more if they were president-priest or governor-priest? What, what is a priest supposed to do? He's supposed to intercede for the people. That means he knows the people and their concerns. And he is taking their concerns to the Most High God and addressing the Most High God and saying, here is what I would like you to do for the people. But not only is he a priest, he's also the king. So he then has the authority to be able to work with God to be able to bring about what? Peace and righteousness. Sound like the gospel? Yeah, this is exactly what's going on. This is the pattern that is being set before us, that it's not just a king that we should want, but it is a priest king that we should want. And so here in Old Testament, but what's happening? Well, this isn't by accident that this story shows up. No, it's there to advance the temporal story, of course. That's what some of these, these passages are, is, is going, okay, how do we get from Abraham to Isaac? Well, we're going to tell a little bit about Abram's life. And so here's this temporal story that involves Lot and involves Abram. And, and, and really, it's designed there for us to sit back and meditate and think about it. And that's what I would appeal to you, that as you walk out today, that you begin to go to the Old Testament and not just go read and go, ah, I can't understand that. I'm going back to the New Testament where it's more practical. No, do what, what Scripture says to do, and that is in Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law has been given to you that you might meditate on it day and night. Now, meditation means that you are sitting there and you're turning these things over and you're asking yourself, why is this story here? It must serve a purpose. And that's what Jesus, he's living by that worldview that these stories are there for a purpose. And he's bringing the purpose to light as he's interpreting these passages for the disciples. But guess what? We, we can do that. We can go into the Old Testament. We can begin to meditate on why these stories are there. And, and as you begin to meditate on it, the Holy Spirit is going to begin to do something for you as he promised to do, to lead you into truth. This is a beautiful thing to be able to go back into the Old Testament, the, this book that seems so difficult to understand and yet have the Holy Spirit uh, cooperate with you, you cooperating with the Holy Spirit to be able to unlock the truths that are in the scriptures in order to bring you life. And, and we've just spent a little bit of time thinking about leaders and how the idea of being a king and a priest or a leader and a priest together is the best possible model. And this is who Jesus is. He's a, a priest and a king. He's not just there to lead you uh, with, by fiat and tell you what to do. 
though he's also your priest, he loves you. He knows everything about you. He knows all your cares, all your concerns. There's no concern too big or too small for the priest to bring before God and say, will you please attend to my people? In fact, this is what Hebrews is talking about. I don't know how you would understand Hebrews if you don't know the story of Melchizedek. He spends chapters 7, 8, and 9 talking about Jesus, the high priest, and how he is, as Ken read for us, this one who lives eternally interceding for his people. Whew, that's an amen right there. Good opportunity for an amen. He lives eternally to intercede for us. That's that, that is an amazing thing. He's not just there trying to tell us what to do. He's there taking our concerns before God eternally. This is a beautiful thing about the high priest uh, in, in Jewish history. Well, so this story's not there by accident. It's there to advance the temporal story, but it's also there to advance the promise. Now, after the service, if you want, well, during the service, because we come up for communion. When you come up for communion, I want you to take a look at this orchid right here, or you can take a look at the orchid over there. But do you see what's happening here with this orchid? It's exactly what I was talking about with the rose. The orchid is unfolding in time. There's nothing accidental about this bud of the orchid. Everything that is needed to open it up and become the beautiful flower is in it right now. It's not by accident that it exists like that. Imagine for a moment that you'd never seen the flower of an orchid. Imagine that you'd never seen it and you just saw this little bud and somebody brought you that little bud as a, you know, a little orchid bud. And you'd be like, okay, I guess, thank you. It's not the most beautiful thing in bud version, is it? No, but once it starts to open up and you start to see the flower come to life, you go, Oh, that is a nice gift. I like that. That's the promise. In Old Testament, that's the promise that was given to Abram about a God who's able to raise the dead back to life. It, it, it wasn't all revealed as the beautiful flower, but it was there by design to advance the promise. So this story about Melchizedek was there by design to advance the story. So we are talking about about 2000 BC, God gives this problem or this promise to Abram and a thousand years later to the story about Melchizedek is there a thousand years later, David is king of Israel and through the prophetic gift, he announces the prophecy about the future Messiah that he will be like Melchizedek, a priest king. But it, this all is designed, it's not by accident, it's all designed to point to the Messiah. That's why Jesus, the Messiah, is able to go back to the Old Testament scriptures and be able to say, this is what it means. This is the proper interpretation of these passages so that you can know and have hope. That's the purpose, to give us hope, right? These, these men are sitting there hopeless. They're so sad because... Their expectation and interpretation of Scripture was not accurate. But Jesus comes along and goes, no, here, here's how you understand the Old Testament. It, it's designed to advance this promise, to, to point to Christ, to, to point to him in order that you have hope. And that's really what we're here for today, is to, to find some hope. 
The world is chaotic right now. Not only is it chaotic, it's also corrupt. Thanks to, well, us a little bit. We, we are involved in that corruption. And yet here, Jesus has given us this promise. And he's come back and he said, that promise that was given to Abram so many years ago is now designed to be purposeful so that you too can have hope. So that you can come to this table and you can find a feast of victory because your sins, your corruption has been overcome. And now you can experience life. This is the hope that is given here. And so as we go through this idea, uh, one last thought on this. Isn't this amazing? So here's Jesus. Is, he's on the road to Emmaus. He's unlocking the scriptures for his disciples. And he's telling about the Melchizedek. And the, the final thing that we see about Melchizedek is, is what? He brings what out to Abram? Bread and wine. That is not an accident, folks. And so as Jesus is relaying this story, then what does he do? He sits down at the table with those disciples who still don't know, can't tell that it's him. And he does what? Breaks the bread. And at that moment, their eyes are open and they're like, Wait, wait, what? You're, oh, can you imagine the hope? And then they run back to Jerusalem and go, yes, he's alive. We saw him today. He broke bread for us. He is a king and a priest as the same as Melchizedek was, interceding and leading us for all time. It is a beautiful thing to be able to see this story unfold and be impacted. And so as you come today to the table and you take that bread and you drink that wine, may you be blessed with a new revelation of who Jesus is, that he gives you even greater hope to overcome the corruption of this world. Father, this is our prayer for ourselves and for this church, for this community. That as we engage with your word, that our eyes will be opened and that we will draw strength, nourishment, and hope to be able to reset and go back into the world and proclaim the truth to people, to live it and proclaim it. We ask these things in your son's name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.